Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Edgy Talk. Lane Talk. Unrivaled Talk. Talk Radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The theme of the day today appears to be, wait for it, backtracking. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the government is backtracking on NHS waiting list targets. They're now denying they're going to be able to reduce the queues inside of three years. It was only a couple of days ago they said, oh, we can definitely get the queues down, the waiting list down uh, from about six million uh, after 2024, March 2024 to be precise. They now reckon that it will be 2025 before they see any type of reduction whatsoever. And they're not even sure if by then they won't have reached something like 10 to 11 to 12 million people waiting for an NHS procedure. Absolutely extraordinary. Sponsors are dropping away from Kurt Zuma and West Ham in the wake of the cat-kicking scandal. And yesterday, the cats themselves were removed from his house by the RSPCA. So I guess they weren't as well as he made them out to be. Sadiq Khan also appears to be on the backtracking machine. Uh, He's support for Metropolitan Police Chief President Dick seems to be evaporating. He's saying if she doesn't come up with a good plan in the next week or so, things are going to get a little bit hairy for her and she may end up out of a job. The Metropolitan Police themselves, of course, are also backtracking on their investigation at Downing Street, threatening to email 50 people to ask them what they know and when they knew it. Well, call me old-fashioned, but it doesn't sound much like a police probe to me. More like an HR exercise, isn't it? I mean, in the days when people did proper police inquiries, they used to sort of knock on your door, sit you down and take a statement. Now they're just emailing you to ask you what you were doing at a party that wasn't a party. This morning, we are still drowning in debt, wondering how to afford the energy bills coming through the door. I got one this morning and facing huge increases in our weekly outlays for all the family. What should this government be doing about it? We'll be asking former Tory minister and MP, of course, John Redwood. 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, fresh from axing all Covid rules yesterday in Parliament, the Prime Minister is off to Brussels and Warsaw to George Orr about war war in Ukraine. You see what I did there? You might ask uh, why on earth people are still insisting on wearing masks now that we've been told that actually this month it could all be over. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it was only just a few weeks ago, just before Christmas, when we were told that thousands of people could be going into hospital, thousands more people could be dropping dead in the streets. We were all set uh, for another lockdown just before Christmas, when Chris Whitty told us we should be limiting our social engagements. Well, now, apparently, all bets are off. It's as if there was never any COVID at all. We'll be talking to Adam Brooks about that. Uh, he's, of course, uh, the uh, the man who has been very, very influential uh, in pushing the hospitality arguments about pushing uh, the COVID lockdown arguments, pushing back against those. Delighted to say uh, that he's going to be joining us as well. Helen Dale is here with her take on the events of the week. She may have a thing or two to say about Bengal cats as well. Plus, the opening up of Australia. Is anybody ever going to go there again? Because I'm certainly not. 0344 499 1000. We'll be asking you as well, how easy is it to see a dentist following the news that as many as 40 million people are waiting for an appointment and many surgeries up and down the country are actually threatening to stop NHS treatment altogether. 
What's it like where you are? Do give us a call, 0344 499 1000. And because it's Thursday, Helena Nicklin will be popping in with some libations for the day. And there's a special guest joining us as well. And let's not forget, uh, we'll be speaking as well uh, to David Seaman's wife about the uh, Kurt Zuma situation because a couple of sponsors pulled away from uh, West Ham and him yesterday. Uh, There's a lot of people not very happy about what it is that West Ham as a football club have done. Uh, We'll find out from her what happens next and what happens to their reputation because that, after all, is rather tricky, is it not? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So let's talk a bit about these COVID restrictions, right? Apparently we are now the first major nation in the world to release the people. So basically, after having got himself into all sorts of trouble with Partygate, uh, having found out that he's actually more unpopular uh, than Jeremy Corbyn at the moment, poor old Boris Johnson, uh, he's shooting off around the world, trying to make himself seem important. He's over in Brussels this morning. He's going to be going to Warsaw later on. Uh, he's talking to people from NATO. Uh, apparently, Liz Truss is off to Moscow. Uh, there's some kind of uh, let's stop the war coalition going on uh, all the way across Europe trying to distract us all from what exactly is going on inside of Downing Street. I don't mind that, by the way, because I agree uh, in a way with many of you now uh, who say this party gate business is a load of old cobblers. Because uh, that picture yesterday that they released of a bottle of champagne sitting in a corner with Boris Johnson in the other corner, somebody else sitting at a desk with a piece of tinsel on. I mean, it looks for all the world like the morning after the night before. It doesn't look like much of a party to me. And also, at this point, I don't really care. You know, I said that Boris Johnson should resign back in November, long before Partygate ever came to the fore. Not because of parties, not because of cake, not because he completely and utterly disregarded how the people of this country feel, but because he wasn't doing anything that a Conservative Prime Minister should be doing. So if he's going to lift all COVID restrictions, if he's going to actually crack down on the migrants, if he's going to do away with the whole net zero campaign, then I wouldn't mind if he stayed around. I still think he's a flawed Prime Minister. I still think we should be looking for somebody else. I still think he should go. However, you know, for the moment, he seems to have fought off uh, the badinage. He seems to have fought off all the people who were trying to knife him, kill him and uh, bury him and dance on his grave. But the problem is, is how long can he last? Because how long in the end is a piece of string? And if he refuses to go anywhere and nobody in the Tory party has got the cojones to push him out the door, then we're stuck with him for the moment. Let's talk to Daniel, who's in Surrey. Hi, Daniel. Hello, Daniel. You know what? Yeah, can you hear me too? Yeah, I can. Go on. Yeah, I just, I just want to say, for me, he, he, he should go now. I think he's doomed. He's got to go. Yeah. And I also, also think he's not governing very well. If you look at the yesterday, they announced they were going to bring in ten thousand nurses from abroad. Yeah. Well, why not? Why not bring back the nursing bursary, or why not make it, you know, free to train as a nurse in the UK? Right. Why import? Why import ten thousand from around the world? It just, you know, it's sort of it's such a reactive way of governing. It's a bit like the police force for a long time. Yet, ever they must have a degree. They must have a degree. Now, the young police officers are leaving in their droves because they're sort of late teens. They've got a poor degree in some non. They've got no life skills. They've not lived. Mm. Yeah, and yet they sneer mm. at people that have come out of the services. They should immediately revert back to taking people out of the army, the air force, the navy. You know, the, the way that they're governing in, in general for me is just not good enough. But no, I agree with you. And I mean, I started this campaign back in November, not because of Partygate, but because I didn't think Boris Johnson was any longer in control, not only of his own government, but of the country. And so this has been going on for a long time. And it's nothing to do with any of the scandals. You and I have spoken about this before, Daniel. It's all about the policies. It's all about what he should be doing and what he's not doing. Yeah, it's totally all about the policies. It's, it's this kind of stuff that you see day to day 
and you know should be happening and changing and reforming. I mean, but why, why would you ever import 10,000 nurses from abroad whilst at the same time charging UK nurses a, a, a fortune to train as a nurse? Yeah. It makes no, it makes no sense. Well, for, the same, for the same reason, why would you... This is where the NHS is falling down all over the place. Why would you hire a load of agency nurses for whom you pay something like uh, £400 a day when you could just employ them for less than half of that? It is exactly right. Why would you ensure that all police officers had to have a degree so you've got people that are only doing six months in the job because you're dealing with the scum of society? You're 19, 20 years old, no life skills. Mm. Yeah, people are coming out of the services, army, navy, older men have seen, have lived a life, you know, and they're getting, they're getting told not to apply. You know, it's everything's back to front at the moment. Nothing yeah. seems to be working. I, I've, I've had enough. If I could move to Australia, Mike, I would. I'd take my kids and I would just go because yeah. this country's had it. So, you know, I hear that from a lot of people and that's a worrying thing for people to be saying because this is a great country. Um, I think it has lost its way. I'm not quite sure when it lost its way, but it definitely has. There's a lot of stupid things going on. Uh, you know, I'm going to do a story later on about Thatcher's Cider. Apparently some bozo group in Bristol has said that one of the people that owns Thatcher's Cider or somebody who's on the board has got some ties to an organisation that they don't like. So everybody should boycott it. Well, get lost. Just don't buy it then if you don't want it. Yeah, that's what I mean. This is what I'm saying. This 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 creep since the 90s. Is, I've, I've had enough of it, Mike. Hmm. The country needs to be run properly. And the two main parties, I mean, the, you know, the two main parties just can't do it. They're, they're incapable. I mean, for me, mass immigration has ruined Britain. Every year that goes by, yeah. mi- millions flooding in. I mean, I see it firsthand, not just illegal, but people from Hong Kong and yeah. South Africa coming in by hundreds of thousands, you know, all their kids in school places. There's the infrastructure. This, all of our roads were built for horse and cars. Well, exactly. You don't, you don't, you don't get so many waiting lists for the NHS by accident. There's an awful lot more people here than there were before uh, the waiting list started to, to build up. But listen, Daniel, great call. Thanks for starting us off this morning because we thought we'd start off the show with a caller for a change today. Because you know what? Sometimes we just need to hear the common sense from the common people, and that is not an insult to people who I'm calling common. They're just everyday people. We're going to talk now to Claire Fox, Baroness Claire. Fox. Don't say we don't go from uh, from the one side of the spectrum to the other. She's in the House of Lords as a non-affiliated peer. She's director of the Academy of Ideas. Claire, very good morning to you. Good morning. I think we can safely say that I'm as common and more so than any common as muck possible. Do you know, common I nearly, as muck as I nearly anyone said, found up. I nearly said from the sublime to the ridiculous, but it wouldn't have come <laughs> out right. So I didn't say that. But listen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know it's a bit short notice. Um, I think um, what we just heard there from Daniel in Surrey was very interesting. He's fed up with the way the country's going. He's fed up with the way it's being run. He thinks it's been ruined over time. Uh, and we don't seem to have an organisation in the in the building, as it were, that can make anything work. Well, I, I thought the comments about particularly, you know, the recruitment of police officers were spot on, weren't yeah. they? That, yes. That have these kind of ridiculous rules that you bring in where you basically say, we'll only have graduates and so on. And, and that a lot of people who would make good coppers are being excluded as a consequence yes and i, I but i but I, I did want to kind of challenge a little bit the kind of idea that what we got all do is moved either move to australia well i least, certainly don't way, i'm certainly i'm moment. not even going to go and visit australia exactly. thanks very much i've got no exactly. interest in going there we'd still be locked down by now if we were over there so i don't know that's the solution but anyway apart from anything else i'd like to urge a bit more positivity because okay. It is frustrating. You can get fed up. You can think, God, I can't stand all of the political classes and all the rest of it. But it just feels a bit fatalistic to me. And I do think 
if I got nothing else out of the whole Brexit experience, I think that we've got to start reasserting that we want to take back control. And to remind everyone, we only actually left the EU and then we went in the COVID period. And so now it seems to me as we're coming out of the COVID period, it's time to reap the benefits, not of Brexit. And I don't want to get into that so much, but that spirit that we could actually make society better, start deciding on laws ourselves and so on and so forth, making decisions. So I think we just got to reassert, ordinary people have got to reassert themselves onto the political stage now. Do you think it's a partly um, a problem of kind of design, if you like, because we've got this political class that we didn't always have, you know, I'm not one of those that likes to hark back to the good old days, but there were some very substantial figures in Parliament, you know, when I was um, when I was younger, when I was going through my 20s, my 30s, when I was growing up. You know, there were so many really, really good and interesting MPs sitting on the back benches. Sometimes they'd been in government, sometimes they hadn't. But they were characters, they were people that looked after their constituents. There seems to me now to be a sort of robot class, you know, the likes that I'm not singling out Dominic Raab, but people like Dominic Raab, who just seem to open their mouths when they're told to and say what they're told to say. They don't really bring anything to the party for me. Well, I, I think that actually what we're seeing most viscerally than ever before is that that this is what the technocratic uh, political elite looks like. Mm. You know, and you can tell, I mean, God, I feel like I'm going to end up talking about Brexit again now, but you can tell that the kind of people that we had that ran the country where all you had to do was to be loyally and interpret EU laws yeah. and regulations that were coming from somewhere else didn't ever have to have the skills that required you to think up policies yourself, mm. you know, to really have imagination. Right. And it also meant that they didn't bother having any principles. So if you look at both political parties, they're almost indistinguishable in anything substantial. Mm. They don't represent very much. Mm. And I think that that basically British politics has been gutted, as it were, of passion, principle, character. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why people quite like Boris Johnson or have liked him. Do you know what I mean? Because he hasn't exactly fitted into that no. mould, as you say, of the robot politician. I mean, I know it's all gone horribly wrong now, but you can see why people would go, well, he's a character, don't hold that against him. But th but I think that what we've got to stop doing is seeing that the answer politically is just the people who are in Westminster and in Parliament. I think that the only way that these things are going to change is when civil society starts organising itself. And we've seen a lot of that, even in this terrible, terrible last two years. We've seen rank and file grassroots organisations set up that change things. You know, I still can't get over the rights for residents group that we've set up by resident, you know, families of people in care homes right. who basically changed the conversation on what how we should look after the elderly during this time. Mm. So I think the power has to be with the people. Yeah. I would say that, but that's my... But does that mean that you're now going to start signing with the Extinction Rebellion who want these kind of people's assemblies? Because I don't fancy yeah. that idea at all. Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that any grassroots movement is good right. just because it's grassroots. That's the first thing to note. And secondly, now I hate people's assemblies because apart from anything else, those people's assemblies are all kind of like orchestrated. Mm. You know, they're actually um, manicured to the point of ensuring that we all know what the answer is, which yes. is very different than public debate and discussion. But I was slightly irritated, although it, the spirit is there, that the way that... Um, 
what's his name? I can't remember. Uh, Rees-Mogg. Yeah. Um, Jacob Rees-Mogg thinks that he should talk to the people and get their views on what laws we should change is to put out a call in the sun. Yeah. There's something cr- crassly condescending about that. And that's no disrespect either to the sun or sun readers. But that's as far as they go. Right. I actually think a vibrant public square where you actually are, are having debates, discussions, town hall meetings. I mean, basically, politicians should go on the road and meet the people, mm. right? Go out and have conversations with them and talk to them. And I don't mean constituency get-togethers. I mean, actually... Lots of discussions, and it makes a real difference if you talk to real people. Yes, as you know, yeah, from running a well, we do it. Right? Yeah, we do it every day. But the it's problem... very different than kind of sitting chatting. Yes, absolutely right. But the interesting thing about that is that the way that political discourse has gone in this country, we are left, I think, with this kind of rump of of people like those who um, were sort of surrounding Keir Starmer the other day, because they're the only people that seemingly have got enough gumption or have got enough interest even in actually engaging. So the ordinary people have kind of been put off doing it. So in a way, um, if politicians were to go out into the public square, they'd probably just have yoghurt thrown on them and stuff and milkshakes and all that kind of thing. And that's a really, I think, a sad development. Yeah, it's very sad development. And actually, I'm glad it's important that you mention that because what, but one of the difficulties is precisely because there's a real uh, gap between politicians and the public. The problem is, is that when they see that sort of gaggle of sort of 12, 15 conspiratorial, you know, prats, yeah. for want of a yes. better word, the other day, they think they're the public. Yes. They confuse that with the public. So they either got these kind of, they've got these very distorted views. They either think they understand what the public is saying because they do polling twice a day and these kind of secret polls, or oh, we know what they think, mm. drives me mad. Right. That's their way of assessing the public. Um, or they kind of look at the most sort of, you know, uh, either Extinction Rebellion and think, oh, yes, everybody thinks we should insulate or, you know, yeah. that's the way forward. Right. Or they see those uh, blokes uh, largely outside Parliament. Right. That's no good. I agree with that. But look, there is million. There are millions of people. Right. And uh, in this country who are actually interested in politics, mm. who sit around and talk about and I mean politics with a small p, phone your show read newspapers, have a view on net zero, have a view on what what we should do in relation to rebuilding the economy post-COVID. And people of all shapes and sizes, some with, you know, highly educated with PhDs and degrees, some with no qualifications, but, you know, whip smart. And I'm just saying that that is the basis of a democracy. It's the demos. And if you're alienated from the demos and you've got such a distorted view of them that you think they're kind of, Neanderthal knuckle draggers and mm. kind of racist xenophobes, which is what a lot of people, you know, we know the Labour Party thought after Brexit. Yeah. Or if you're kind of like so over concerned with, you know, courting them, but in a kind of very narrow kind of populist way that's unhelpful, then basically you're not just having genuine conversations. So your police, the example of the, the phone about the policeman is a really good thing. We are losing out on the talents of loads of ordinary people from joining professions like the police because they've introduced some completely ridiculous educational prohibition Mm. that will stop people joining. Yes. It's mad. It is mad. But, I mean, it's a great thing that you're saying here, Claire. So how do we get there? That's the question, isn't it? Well, well, first of all, we've got to acknowledge that we need, you know, that we can't give up. I mean, I know it sounds pathetic to say that, but I do think there's too much fatalism. I even think some of the conspiratorial stuff, by the way, is over fatalistic because this idea that, you know, it's all kind of manoeuvred by some big world 
yeah. uh, you know, conspiracy. I mean, listen, of, we've seen people. we've seen these well, people, right? We see these people. They're not clever enough. And that's what I always say. No. no, but also they might have a plan, but they're pl- they're not very good at implementing it <laughs> entirely as a plan. But it's also the case that what that does is it basically says it's not worth bothering doing anything apart from whinging about mm. them and exposing the plan. It makes you overly uh, pessimistic. So, I mean, when you say what can you do, I really do think we've got to go about building civil society. I mean, if I, you know, locally get involved in um, setting up uh, local public discussions. I mean, if we're going to rebuild, say you're going to rebuild in Bolton or you're going to rebuild in Barnsley, whatever, call a meeting of the town and say, what do we need to concentrate on? What should we do about the fact that so many shops are closed? I mean, don't rely on the kind of council bureaucracy. One of the problems with the levelling up agenda is that you just know that what's going to happen with the limited funds that are available is that they're going to go to local, you know, council, local councils, local authorities, and ordinary people won't see a penny of it in lots of ways. It's funneled into the system. Whereas what I'm interested in is uh, making sure that the conversations that people have when they phone your show, when they're on social media, when they're down the pub, that they actually become much more part of a public conversation. So I would be organising town hall meetings, getting people together, actually actively doing things like going and saying, well, we know the care home is, I don't go on about care homes, but the care homes had a really terrible time. Why don't we have a group of volunteers going in, let's have a conversation about what we think about social care and feed that into the government. Government keep having consultations. Let's be the, don't let's be one of those stakeholder formal groups. Mm. Let's get together as a local community. And, and also, I mean, care home is a very important subject at the moment because we've got Sajid Javid saying he's going to reverse the U- he's going to U-turn on the um, vaccination uh, mandate for NHS workers. But what about the people in care homes who have lost their jobs? Can they go back now? Can they have representation to go and get their old jobs back? And can we revitalise the sector? Because that's what we should be doing. Because I think the trouble with a lot of people uh, uh, and this government is that they hear things being promised and then the promise never comes true. Absolutely. I'm very concerned about those care workers who lost their jobs in the way you've said. But what's worse, Mike, is, you know, we're about to celebrate, and I am celebrating, I have to say, the the total ending of of restrictions in a couple of weeks when the self-isolation rules go, looks like. Um, There's still challenges, but we can take some heart from the fact that things have been rolled back, and I am taking some heart from that, and a busy tube in London and people out and about and all that. But guess what? They're removing all the restrictions, but not for care home residents. Yeah. So they've still got ridiculous self-isolation things. So we did all this apparently to protect the vulnerable. And now what they're going to do is they're basically punishing people in care homes who both staff and residents have to go into particularly long isolation periods. It's completely disrupting the sector. So not only have they sacked loads of the very uh, you know heroic workers who worked throughout the lockdown period, but now they're also punishing the residents by ensuring that they never get any freedom at all and i see lots of the uh, families of those people complaining on social media and now they're going to get organized and all i'm saying is the community should be involved in that the only people who we don't want to be in a situation where the only people who care for people in care homes or the residents of people Mm. in care homes that should be at the heart of the community but i'm making it all about care homes this can be about any range of issues and i just I think that what I'm trying to say is, is that I don't want politics to be left up to politicians. Yeah. Yeah. If the conclusion of all this is that people don't vote in an election or just kind of give up and just say, oh, what's the point? Then basically, when I say they've won, it sounds too mad. Mm. But, 
but that's no good. It's our life. We've got to grasp hold of the uh, possibilities. I'm in a very privileged position. I know that. But you take your chances, right? And yeah. they offered me the Lords, which I think should be abolished. And I thought, go in and try and stir it up a bit. <laughs> Listen, what better Everybody, way to abolish something? Are, though, has got to do that. Yeah, well, also, what better way to abolish something than become part of it and destroy it from within? That's what I'm expecting you to do, Claire. Well done. Thank you very much indeed, Claire Fox. A Baroness Claire Fox of Buckley, non-affiliated peer, director of the Academy of Ideas. Some great ideas, right? She says, it's not what your country can do for you. Uh, it's what you can do for your country. It's time to save the country. Uh, our first caller, of course, uh, Danny, Dan Danny down in Surrey, he said uh, he's had enough. He's fed up. The country's done. Ruined. Absolutely destroyed by the politicians. Claire Fox says, no, you've got to fight for it. You've got to fight back and you've got to bring this country back to greatness. Shall we not do that? Let's like make Britain great again. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Listen on DAB+. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the time uh, for common sense. It is the time for conversation. It is the time for ideas. Claire Fox uh, said it all out there for us. She said, don't forget, we are a great country in this country. We are a great nation. There is no reason to believe uh, that you have to leave the country. Danny in Surrey came on this morning, kicked us off and said, look, I've had enough. There's nothing working. The government's not working. Boris Johnson needs to go. I'm thinking of moving to Australia. Now, I'm not thinking of moving to Australia, so I'm going to stand and fight. I'm going to stand here uh, and even sit here, and I'm going to tell you that we can do a lot better. Uh, all we have to do is set our minds to it. One of the biggest problems we've got in this country right now uh, is the stewarding of the NHS. And we're going to talk now to Mark Green, NHS dentist, member of the British Dental Association's General Dental Practice Committee. Because an extraordinary statistic came out of today. Never mind the waiting lists for NHS hospital treatment and for various procedures that people are waiting years for. It now turns out, according to some new figures, there's as many as 40 million people waiting for a dental appointment. Now, obviously, it hasn't been helped by the pandemic, but equally, it also hasn't been helped by the way that some NHS dentists are unable to give you NHS treatment. Let's find out what's going on. Mark, a very good morning to you. Good morning. I'm hoping that's a reasonable uh, summation of what's actually going on. I mean, clearly, the dental business is, is, is in a bit of trouble, as is much of the NHS. What's the, uh, what's the scenario? What's going on? Well, it, it's, it's a historic thing that's been growing for a long, long time, and COVID has just exacerbated the problem. This uh, contract we currently got is uh, 2006, it started, and it was on the decline ever since then, really. Mm. Uh, the government have been prototyping and piloting various new ways of working uh, for 10 years plus, and they've just decided to can all that information they've gathered and just crack on as normal. Right. What we want is urgent change quickly before there's no service left. So, so in a nutshell, what's wrong with it, Mark, in the, in the well, sense of the system? What's wrong with the way it works? The, the current contract, if you in a high needs area, uh, and there's various places around where I work um, on the East Coast where there hasn't been any NHS dental service for a while, right. patients will need a lot of work. Now, you get a banding structure in the NHS dental uh, charges, it's band one, two, and three. Now, band two is all fillings. So if you needed a one single filling, the dentist gets rewarded three units of dental activity. Right. If that patient needed... 20 fillings they still get three units of dental activity 
And when you so, say three units of dental activity, is that a, an amount of money per unit? Yeah, it, it equates to, it's like a, 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 it's a sort of tariff. It's like a like credit that. scheme or something. Yes, yeah. So how much, um, is so per, it, how much do you get per unit? Well, that varies slightly across the country, uh, but I think an average of about £27 per unit. Okay. So, you, so, so for every so for any any NHS procedure that you do, you get however many of those units. But some dentists will also charge NHS patients as well on top of that, right? Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say that the the, the paying patients because everyone assumes that NHS is free at the point of service. Well, it's not, it isn't. Is it? dentistry. No. <laughs> I keep telling uh, people that, and they look at me like I've gone mad. Yeah, I mean, it's been that since 1951, I think. It's been a chargeable service. Yeah. But the, the, the patient will pay for a band two treatment, which is a three units, £65. So you do the math. Right. There's not much that the government are putting into that. No, no, that's right. And so as far as people not being able to get a dentist in the area where they live, is that because the dentists themselves are saying it's just not viable financially for me to do that? I mean, I know of people who have told me, for example, that on certain days, uh, their dentist will only take private patients and won't take NHS patients, so they can't make an appointment for, say, Thursday or for Friday or something like that. Um, so it's sort of it's it's all over the place, it seems to me. Yeah, well, the the, the contract is commissioned by NHS England. Um, in the past, if you were a dentist, like when I set up in uh, 1997, you just uh, set up a practice and you opened your doors and the patients came in. Right. So it was down to the dentist to decide where they wanted to work. What's uh, since 2006, they, they deemed they were more uh, worldly wise on where to set up these practices. Right. So it's been, and then you get a practice with a limited contract. So if I have to do, say, 5,000 units of activity, once I've done those 5,000, that's it, I can't do any more. Mm. And so, so therefore, fixed. if you say, for example, had a practice with, say, five or six different dentists in it, are they all kind of independent contractors, if you like, or are they part of a, a small company? How does it work? Well, most dentists are self-employed. Right. Uh, I'm an associate myself, and I work for a, a bigger company. But I, I'm I'm self-employed, and I you know, choose to work when I work with them. And uh, most dentists are in that position. Mm. If you're a practice owner, you tend to be the the what they call a provider, whereas I'm just a performer. I know okay. it makes me sound like a circus clown. But... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm join the club. That's what I do as well. You, your job's slightly more important than mine, I have to say. Um, the thing is, though, I went. I remember going to uh, an NHS dentist. I had to get some, some, some my teeth were in a terrible state on the grounds that I was basically born with Scottish teeth, as I like to call them, and also had various periods of neglect. And they basically said to me, look, we don't think we can really help you here. You're best going private, which is what I ended up doing. And I was fortunate enough to be able to pay for that. It was very expensive. But, you know, I think it's almost become a kind of triage service, the dental uh, business, because I know loads of people, even just in, in, in my sort of small circle of friends, who's like, we haven't been able to go to the dentist for a couple of years. You know, there's nothing seriously wrong, but I'd quite like to get an appointment, but I just can't get one. Yeah. I, 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 that's going to make the inequalities in our society even worse. NHS dentistry should be there for all, mm. and especially those who can't afford the private sector. Yeah. Uh, and, and unfortunately, because those areas tend to be in high needs, this contract doesn't encourage any dentist to set up in those areas, mm. even if they were commissioned by NHS England, because right. you could spend a day and a half and get three units of activity on someone or just spend five minutes and get the same units of activity. Yeah. So it's, an, it's a no brainer. really. It, it's, it's, and even the minister herself has accepted that it's a no brainer. But what we want is urgent change because the, the dentist leaving. I've, com I've reduced my commitment to the NHS now. I used to have my own practice. I had to sell that because I couldn't get anyone to work there. Uh, and I now work for someone else. I don't have to keep spinning the plates of running mm. a business and doing the dentistry. 
And that's been going on for years. I remember talking to the chief dental officer 10 years ago, but we were on the East Coast, so no one really cared much about us up in North Yorkshire. Mm. Now it's affecting everywhere, and now it's become more of a major problem. Right. Now they're starting to listen. But they need to do something very, very quickly because right. there'll be no service left. And presumably that involves spending more money, right? Yeah, we've had since 2010, we've had effectively a pay cut because there was what they called 4% efficiency savings within NHS since the uh, pandemic, uh, mm. since the uh, crisis, yeah. the financial crisis. So every year we had a 4% pay cut. Now, NHS dental practices are probably the most efficient arm of the NHS. There's no slack in the system. So 4% efficiency savings basically equated to a 4% pay cut. Right. So over 10 years, my pay dropped by 30%. Wow. Now, that's why I've just had enough, and that's why others have had enough. Right. So, I mean, will we end up effectively with a two-tier system? Because presumably if they want to make it better, and as you say, they need to do it sooner rather than later, they kind of have to pr produce out of nowhere, out of thin air, a load of dental practices, don't they, who only do NHS work? There are enough dentists in, in this country to do it. They've just chosen not to work within the NHS. Right. If the NHS was an attractive proposition, and that isn't just about the money you get paid, it's the whole working ethos and the and the, the paperwork and the hoops you have to jump yes. through. It's, if it was made more streamlined and more efficient in the sense of what the offer was from the NHS, then I'm sure we could entice younger dentists to come into it. Yeah. Where I work, there's no one wants to fill my boots. When I, when I hang up my drill... There's no one coming up no. to replace me. No, right. I mean, we talk about the NHS a lot on this show, uh, mostly um, about hospital care and GP surgeries and that kind of thing. But there's no question that it is antiquated in the way that it's administrated, in the way that it's run. I mean, what would you say they should be able to do? Because, I mean, it must be one of the final ports of call for fax machines and paper and, you know, all of the things that they still insist on using. I'm told by doctors that they've got to jump through similar hoops as, as you're just describing. I mean, how easy would it be to end all that? I think it'd be very simple if they if they started having an open dialogue with the BDA as to what they actually want to purchase off us as providers, mm. you know, and then they're, they're re reluctant to do that. And we're, we've got plenty of dentists, as it were, but they're just not choosing to work within the NHS because of what I outlined before. Right. Okay. So they need to just uh, sit down and have a proper conversation with us and, and get to the nuts and bolts of what they really want us to do. Yes, absolutely. Mark, thank you very much indeed. Mark Green, NHS dentist, member of the British Dental Association's General Dental Practice Committee. Can you believe 40 million people are waiting for a dental appointment in this country? You probably are one of them. You're probably many of them uh, as you listen to this show, and I'd love to hear your stories. We already know uh, how complicated it can be to get inside a dental surgery from our caller, Freddie, from a few weeks ago, uh, who wasn't let in because he wasn't wearing a mask. That's another story. But many people that I know haven't been able to get a dental appointment for years. Just can't get one. 0344 499 1000 is the number. John Redwood coming up next. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Conversation, confrontation. Find talking, common sense talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got a lot going on today. Helen Dale is going to be here. She's going to talk a bit about Australia reopening. She'll have much to say, I'm sure, about Kurt Zuma, the cat kicker who plays for West Ham. Some of the sponsors are now starting to desert both the team and him personally. Uh, no bad thing as far as I'm concerned. Finally, the RSPCA uh, went to work and actually took the cats away uh, from the footballer's house. So they're at least uh, safe for the time being. We'll bring, bring you updates on that. We're going to talk to David Seaman's wife, Frankie, uh, later on, who's also involved in a cat's charity. We're going to talk to John Redwood very shortly uh, who we missed out on uh, just at the top of the show. A couple of technical difficulties which we've overcome. But let me just tell you first of all about a woman called Jo Whitfield uh, who is the chief executive of Co-op Food. Uh, Co-op of course being one of the more successful supermarkets in this country. She's decided that she's going to step away from the business from May to help her two sons study for their GCSEs and their A-levels, right? Now apparently she thinks that these little petals are so difficult to deal with that they must have all of her time Uh, in order to make sure that they can pass their exams. The same exams that everybody else takes, by the way. Uh, She, of course, is on £1.4 million a year from the co-op, which makes it slightly easier for her to take four months off without any pay whatsoever. Most of us work because we need the money. Most of us work because actually we support our children and our families through working and managing to do the job that we do with hopefully some measure of success. Now, if I were running the co-op, I think I would say to this woman, Joe. It's all very well if you want to take four months off to help your kids. I'll tell you what you can do. You can take the rest of the year off and, in fact, take the rest of your life off as well because there's no point running a company if you're not interested in running the company. It's not a part-time job for 1.4 million quid. Are you having a laugh? I think if you were working at the co-op, you might find it slightly insulting that the woman who's in charge of you, the woman who makes decisions about your future, the woman who decides what you're going to do in your job, has decided that she's just going to take off for a while because, you know, it's all about a work-life balance. Well, I'm sick to death of a work-life balance. There's too many people taking a work-life balance and not doing any bleeding work and just having a nice life. Well, that's fine. But don't tell me you've got a job, which is important, and don't expect to get that job back when you've taken four months off to look after, you know, the little dweebs in the house doing their exams. Not for me. Do a job, do it well, do it with pride. If you don't want to work... Just don't. Simple. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Sir John Redwood, a man who knows a thing or two about hard work. Sir John, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Sorry about that little rant there, but I just think, you know, I've had I'm sick to death of all these people who want to have a work-life balance. I mean, you know, what's wrong with hard work, getting a good day's pay for it, going home to spend the time with your family that you do when you're not working? You know, I, I don't understand these people who don't want to work. I'm waiting for an answer, but I'm not getting one. It wasn't a question, Mike. You, you gave me your view. I'm oh, I see. I'm very happy to talk to you about something of general interest. I thought we were going to be talking about 
cost of living crisis, energy prices. All well, it's all thing. connected, you see. In my world, John, everything is connected, right? Now, people who don't want to work and people who want to work from home are affecting the economy. The economy right now is in a very bad place. And I know you're very keen to talk about energy and so am I. But everything is in a sort of inflationary spiral. And the reason for that, to a large extent, is to do with the government shutting down the economy uh, for more or less two years, which they now say they don't need to do anymore. Well, I'm very relieved they have got to that conclusion. As you know, Mike, I've been on the side of the argument that said they closed down too much for too long and yes. that we needed to get back to work. And I entirely agree with your general proposition. We want high living standards in this country. Uh, quite a lot of people have good living standards in this country. We want more to enjoy that. But work is the crucial ingredient you need to put in uh, in order to earn those collective high standards. And then we impose taxation so that those who are unable to work can get some assistance from the rest of us. That is a very good system. Uh, and we need, as you say, to concentrate more on how we get people into better paid jobs and good jobs, how we get their productivity up, how we get them better trained, how they can go on their journeys. But you are right that those personal journeys to success require a lot of hard work. What is the one thing I see that is the common characteristic of the people who are great footballers, great singers, uh, great people on stage and screen or, or great people in business? It is that they put in the hours, they put in the graft, uh, because you have to practice a lot and do a lot mm. in order to get good at something. Well, exactly right. And I do worry, and I know that it's a bit of a macro point I'm making, I do worry that we are not producing enough kind of ambitious people in this country anymore because we've allowed ourselves to get a bit soft. It's all been rather nice and cosy over the last sort of few decades. And we're now kind of coasting around as if, we, we, you know, the world owes us all a living. And I think, as you say, I mean, you might remember a, a golfer from old called Gary Player who used to say, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know, which, right. is, which is entirely right. And we all know that that's true. Um, so we're looking at now an inflation crunch coming. And I think you know as well as I do, it's going to probably get a lot worse uh, before it gets better. You and I were both around in the 1970s when things got a little bit uh, choppy, shall we say. Yep. Um, and some people lost their homes and mortgage rates went through the roof. I don't think people nowadays are even aware of how bad that can get. No, I think that's right. And um, I and others have been predicting that come April, May, we're, we're going to see the worst of it. And that's why I've been saying to the government, get rid of the national insurance rise, because people are going to have a big enough hit to their living standards because of the gas and electricity bills from the food and general bills, which are also going up a bit more than we would like, uh, and from the freezing of allowances on, on income tax. Uh, and so I would say ease the squeeze more. Uh, and then work away at making sure that those supply problems we have can be resolved by getting more people into jobs that are relevant and by making more of the things we need at home, extracting more of our own oil and gas. And the energy crisis, uh, which is particularly a European one, the, the Americans have done much better at getting their own oil and gas out of the ground and keeping their prices lower, uh, is about a shortage of, of gas and, and oil that we can use from reliable European sources. The UK is blessed with rather more oil and gas reserves than much of the continent. Mm. Uh, and so I've been pressing with a few others, the government to do something about it. I was very pleased this week that we've now got a statement out of the government that they do want to grant more licenses for more domestic production from 
the North Sea. There's quite a lot out there still. I would just say, get on with it. Yeah. And then you get more better paid jobs in Britain. You get a lot more tax revenue in Britain because you, you don't get the tax on the upstream oil and gas if it's imported, but you do if, if it's produced here. Uh, and you start to ease squeeze on the supply of oil and gas. Yes. And would you, like me, uh, Sir John, um, urge the Prime Minister to remove, at least temporarily, or reduce at least at some point, uh, this ridiculous sort of uh, green subsidy that we pay on our energy bills? Because at the moment it comes to around 20%, I'm told. Well, I mean, we have to pay it one way or another, don't we? Because it's all committed. So if you take it off the bills, you put it on our tax bill. Uh, I think what we need to do is, is to work away at making sure that we can bid into our system renewables that don't need any subsidies. And I'm told that now it's much easier to, to get lower priced uh, renewable wind energy, for example, with, without subsidies. So that's the medium term solution. But we are lumbered with those bills for the foreseeable future one way or another. And the tax bill I would actually take off is I would get rid of the VAT on yeah. energy now. So I think adding that on is just adding insult to injury. Well, absolutely right. But that's only 5%. So, I mean, as much as it's something, it's it's not going to help a great deal for people who have seen their bills go from sort of £800 last year to about £2,000 this year. No, every little helps, though. And, and we do have to say, I'm afraid, energy is quite a bit dearer for the time being for a variety of reasons. Some of them in our control, many of them not in our control. Um, and then you, you need to help people through that in, in a variety of different ways. So a bit, of, a bit of tax reduction, I think, would be one way of helping. One final question, Sir John. Um, has Boris Johnson dodged the bullet for the moment? Is he in now for the rest of time? Boris Johnson uh, has plenty of support in the Conservative Party. Uh, clearly, those who want him out are well short of 54 people even to get a vote on the subject. And your your viewers and listeners need to remember it needs 180 Conservative MPs to throw Boris Johnson out. And as of today, uh, his enemies are well short of that And I, I take it you're not one of them? <laughs> no, I'm not trying to get rid of him, no. No, thank you very much indeed. So John Redwood MP, Conservative MP from Wokingham, former government minister, of course, says, yes, we should take VAT off uh, the energy bills. Yes, we should be drilling uh, for more oil and gas in our own uh, country and in our own provinces. And yes, Boris Johnson is here for the time being, for a while. This is Talk Radio. Republic of Mike Graham, Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. As you've just heard, a second West Ham sponsor has withdrawn their support uh, to the club after the Kurt Zuma backlash gets uh, a little bit more publicity. It seems as though uh, a place called Experience Kissimmee, uh, which is a tourism destination in Florida, of course, uh, have said that basically uh, they have ended their sponsorship with West Ham United Football Club uh, because they were uh, very disappointed uh, in what has been going on. And so I think this story has still got run uh, some running to do, and I I still think West Ham United will have to take further action against Kurt Zuma for what he did uh, at home and filmed with his cat, uh, unfortunately being kicked around and slapped, uh, a disgraceful act, uh, which some people think is all right. 
It's okay to let him play football because he's quite good. Well, I don't think so. Don't forget, you can watch this on Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube, now, of course, on Amazon Fire TV as well. Just go to talkradio.tv or go to the App Store and find the Talk Radio TV app. Right now, I'm delighted to say Adam Brooks joins us, publican of two Essex pubs, a man uh, who has been pretty busy over the last couple of years, but probably not in the way that he would have liked. Adam, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Uh, nice to talk to you after all this time. I don't think we've ever had you on here, actually, which is quite extraordinary considering uh, where we've been for the last two years. But um, yeah. isn't it funny that when Boris Johnson finds himself in a bit of the old uh, brown stuff, he suddenly thinks COVID's not a problem anymore? Well, I, I, I don't think he's thought it's much of a problem all the way through, to be honest, <laughs> mate. If yeah. uh, you know, I think um, he's been bullied by scientists I think he's been led down the, the garden path a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but look, he looks like he's seen sense. He's, he's, he is following the science now. And the science says it's right to, to let us free. So. Yeah. I mean, what I'd like to see, and I keep saying this, and nobody seemingly from SAGE is willing to answer it all from the chief medical officer's point of view. You know, you guys had such a big Christmas planned which was totally destroyed by Chris Whitty when he came out and said, you know, people should limit their uh, social activity. And I personally know plenty of, you know, bar owners and restaurant owners who were like, that killed it for us. People just cancelled yeah. their Christmas parties, the big corporate ones especially, which which, which, which we were where the big money was going to be made. I mean, how was it for yeah. you uh, over that period of, of Christmas and New Year? Look, I've got two really good pubs, if I'm honest. I've got a lot of community support. They're, they're busy pubs anyway. But, right. yeah, as soon as they opened their mouth, uh, and started scaring everyone about Omicron. You know, trade did fall off really badly. Mm. Um, again, I did okay. Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve was all right for me. Uh, but there's many that didn't, and, and the sector got hurt so badly. Mm. Uh, and, you know, they're still paying for some of the December bills this month. Right. And uh, I know many operators that, you know, they're taking out further loans or they're borrowing off of relatives. Um and, you know, it's only going to get worse for us, really, uh, in the next few months because of the, the tax hikes, yeah. um, inflation and, and such. So, you know, hospitality really does need a little bit more support, I think. And, you know, if they could keep the VAT at 12.5% for, for another six months or so, that, that would really help the sector. Right. And is it still at that at the moment? What's that? What, the VAT? Is it still at that? Low? It went back up, didn't it, to 20%, I thought? Yeah, so... It went from 5% to 12.5% and it's going up to 20% again um, in a few weeks' time. Right. So that it's like a double tax hike in six months yeah. for the sector. Uh, you know, and, and we need, you know, there's many operators that are clinging on. They've got bounce-back loans to pay. They've got lockdown one debts that they're still yes. paying. You know, I'm, I'm lucky. Latter part of last year, I, I managed to get a lot of my debts uh, away from the pubs. You know, uh, and, and I've been okay, but mm. there's many operators that, that they're literally that they're they're on the knife edge. Yeah, and that's the trouble. I mean, I'm also hearing a lot of people getting chased quite aggressively by the taxman, HMRC, right. and specifically for the for the repayment of some of these bounce back loans. Um, yeah, when they haven't really made the money to repay the loans uh, yet, anyway. Yeah, I mean HMRC are giving they're, they're giving payment plans. Um, you know that they, they are doing that, but. When you're so far behind with maybe rent from 2020 and you're right. so far behind with, with other liabilities, you know, people do tend to put the tax man at the back of the queue. Um, and I think there needs to be a bit of understanding. Yeah. I think there is, but, you know, I don't like that to hear the stories of, of, of people being hounded for, mm. for their liabilities. 
No, and of course the other problem you'll face coming uh, up in the next few weeks and months is that people will have less disposable income because they're getting yeah. taxed more. You know, energy prices are going through the roof. I mean, I got one this morning, and I mean, just for a small flat in London, uh, it's mm. gone up by a factor of about sixty-five percent since last yeah. month. And you know, yeah. I mean, I'm one of the lucky ones who can pay it, but I mean, people will be cutting back on on going out, won't they? Well, that, that's certainly going to happen. And I mean, one of my businesses is caught out of contract. November it ended. So it's a small backstreet pub, Mike. And, you know, the, the bill's gone from £1,500 a month to £3,000 a month just for my electric. Blimey. So, you know, add the gas, the gas rising as well. Yeah. You know, it's £25,000 extra. I've got to pay an energy cost yeah. this year just for a small backstreet pub. Now, again, I've got good pubs. I think I'll be fine. You know, and, and I've got ways of in, increasing trade and they are busy pubs. But there's many that can't swallow that, that cost and they're going to need help. Yeah. You know, I, I think the sector needs a two year plan of, of support. You know, we were really badly hurt by lockdowns and restrictions. And, I, I, you know, just because we're open, it doesn't mean that we're OK. Right. And I think the customer needs to know that as well. Absolutely right. And as far as the staffing levels and things like that are concerned, I mean, I know a lot of people got furlough at some points or other but later on you didn't really get that chance to to, to, to put people on furlough um a lot of yeah. people have left the business haven't they and, and so yeah. what, what's the recruitment situation like again luckily I've, I've got small teams you know normally i hire people that you know if it's their sons or, or someone's brother or sister a lot of my staff are known to myself so we've got small teams that, that, are, that are okay mm. but i mean certainly with chefs uh and other sort of uh, positions in in hospitality they sort of realise that there's easier ways of making money, maybe, or yeah. there's, there's better quality of life um, in other jobs. So, yeah, listen, it's tough. It's tough out. You try and find a chef, a good chef out there at the moment. Mm. It's, it's going to be hard. Yeah. Now, a friend of mine, um, James Kiavarini over in Kensington, had to shut his restaurant in August because the chef was taking some time off and he couldn't find anyone to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's the kind of thing. And that's the thing. I mean, business-wise, people don't talk about it much in Parliament, do they? I mean, they talk about home energy prices going up, but they don't think about business costs. And because, I mean, are you going to find that you're going to have to put the prices up of your of your uh, food and drink as well? Well, it's, it's 100% it's going to happen at some point this yeah. year because, you know, as I said, I've got to find 25 grand extra just for energy right. costs this year. And, you know, I've got my brewery. I'm, a t I'm, I'm tied to a brewery, so I pay a lot of money for my beer anyway. Right. But, you know, certainly prices have got to go up, but we've got to make sure that we don't, put them up to a point where customers just think, you know, I'm going to go to the supermarket and stay at home. Yeah. So it's a fine balance, uh, but people have got to understand that the, the inflation and, uh, and the added cost that pubs have got this year. Yes. And you've campaigned, um, you know, very, very hard for, for, for your mm. industry. And I, I think a lot of people would salute you for that, Adam, and thank, thank you, you for doing it. But, I mean, has there been a personal cost to you in terms of how you know, you've had to be able to get through the last two years. And, and, and is there anything, anywhere you can go legally, maybe, to try and get something from the government? I don't think there's a legal route now. Um, certainly, even like the insurance route, um, my insurance had a clause, funny enough, that if WHO ever called a pandemic, that I wouldn't get paid out. Oh, really? So, well, I bet yeah. you hadn't read that before this, right? Exactly that. Who, who, I mean, who checks things right. like that? So, you know, and I don't think there's going to be any any sort of call action with, with the government for compensation but you know it I, I i'm pleased i've done this and i'm pleased i've gained the following that i've got but i wish i hadn't had to yeah mike you know it's um it's been quite draining on me certainly my wife's going to be pleased when i 
stop tweeting so much and, <laughs> and whatever, sure. you know. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a dangerous old world out there, and and you know, you've man, I think you've I think you've navigated it pretty well, considering. Thank you. I, I mean, I, I do get some nasty messages. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, well, well don't we all? Nice ones. Yeah, don't yeah. we all? You know, it's all yeah. part of the all part of the rich pageant. But I mean, as long as you've got that kind of personality, we can deal with it. I always say to people, if you I'm can, that's fine. I couldn't care less yeah. what they say about me. You know, um, me neither. But there we are. Listen, Adam. Good luck, and uh, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Adam Brooks, uh, owner of two uh, or publican rather of two Essex pubs and and a few other bits and pieces in between. It's been so difficult for so many people this lockdown business, and it's all very well for the government now to say, well, it's fine now. Just lift all the restrictions. Just get rid of them all. We don't need them. Don't bother testing yourself. Don't bother self-isolating. Don't bother not travelling anywhere. Just go wherever you want in the world. We are the world leaders in freedom. Really. This is Talk Radio. Independent Talk. Proper Talk. News Talk. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, now uh, the midday hour. We'll be talking very shortly uh, about uh, Zuma, Mr. Kurt Zuma, who has, of course, uh, now found himself fined to the tune of about £250,000. Mick in Bromley, who's a West Ham fan, uh, thinks we should stop going on about it because obviously uh, it's over the top. Uh, He's been punished and there's nothing wrong with what he did uh, as long as you don't put it into the context of playing football because, of course... Playing football is the most important thing. Uh, the problem with all of this, right, uh, is that if you are seen and uh, you think it's a good idea to actually put something on social media because it's funny and you're doing harm to an animal, I would say that is the lowest of the low, much worse than what Eric Cantona did. Uh, Rex Joe says, the nitwit you have on now defending this disgusting player is beyond reality. Kicking a ball more important than kicking a cat, a silly pointless game is more important than animal abuse. Well, I think the problem is, right, if you were a player at West Ham, and Scott Minto was, he said he should be prosecuted and he should be kicked out of the club. And of course, there are other former players, even Gary Lineker uh, came on side with me and said that the idea of playing uh, Kurt Zuma on Tuesday night against Watford was ludicrous and tone-deaf and ridiculous. We're going to talk to Frankie Seaman, uh, ice skater, foster for cats protection, of course, as well. Um, and she knows a thing or two about football. She happens to be married to David Seaman, uh, who was the England goalkeeper and Arsenal goalkeeper, of course, very served very distinguishedly for a very long time indeed in both of those jobs. So we will be doing more on Kurt Zuma because, quite frankly, a fine of 250 grand, which is effectively two weeks' wages, means nothing. The sponsors are dropping away from West Ham United and the story still has a quite a long way to go i think you'll find so uh, keep your eyes peeled keep your ears open and we will bring you breaking news as it happens we've already got another sponsor from florida uh, one of those uh, tourism destinations uh, who have now pulled out uh, their support from west ham and the west ham owners really need to be heard from at this point don't they oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand got another bit of breaking news it's all happening here uh, on the independent republic of mike graham apparently prince charles has got covid and is self-isolating I can't, I'm not, can't be sure if you have to do that anymore, dear. I can't remember. Boris Johnson said pretty soon all those uh, ridiculous rules will be done away with. John Major's also made a speech, but I don't want to talk about that. Uh, this is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. We are, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us say a very good afternoon to Frankie Seaman, ice skater, fosterer for Cats Protection League as well. Frankie, very good afternoon to you. 
Hello, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much indeed. Despite the views of some West Ham fans, um, I think this is still news. I still think that uh, what punishment has been handed out so far to Mr Zuma is not really sufficient. Um, I mean, it's a shocking thing that he did, a shocking video. Um, what do you make, though, of some fo people in football who think, well, it's not really fair to punish the football club? I think there will always be people who find certain uh, subjects to be extremely uh, inflaming and they'll get impassioned about. And then there'll be other people that will say, well, we don't care about that because this is more important. And I think what we need to focus on are the hundreds of thousands of voices of support um, calling for more to be done about the abuse that we saw in that shocking video yeah. that loaded social media. I mean, I'm quite surprised, really, that in because we live in a very sort of um, woke era, don't we now? And I, I say that not as, a, as, as a, a derogatory term. You would think that the people that own West Ham United, who have got the name of being a family club, um, you know, who like to think of themselves as very family friendly, um, who like to think of themselves as putting on lots of interesting entertainment for, for families and kids and stuff when they come. I would have thought they'd have been a bit more responsible than this to, to let David Moyes, the manager, pick this guy to play in a game literally the day after it had all come out. Absolutely. And I can only echo the thoughts of Gary Lineker that said it was completely tone deaf. And right. I think actually since it happened, and it was obviously when the video came out, it, that was very close to the game. But since that's happened, we've seen such a huge outpouring and such a huge public outcry. I think people have become more aware that this is a very important issue. And I think West Ham have really missed a step here in being able to stand up and say, actually, this is terrible. Let's let's highlight animal abuse because it does take place across all walks of life and what we're seeing here is people saying oh well he's you know he's a millionaire footballer and I, I think that's completely irrelevant actually because I as a cat fosterer hear of abuse that happens you know from the top level of society mm. to the bottom of the level of society and if we can highlight that and if we can bring an end to that and raise prosecution on that then then absolutely yeah. this is the cause and I think West Ham should be highlighting that in yes. response I mean, lots of people have said things to me like, well, if he wasn't so famous, you wouldn't be calling for him to lose his job. And I'm not asking for him to lose his livelihood. I think he should. And I think the Premier League actually should have some responsibility here that they should say, you know, somebody who behaves like that is not welcome to play in our league. And they should force West Ham's hand, in my view, because otherwise, what lesson are we telling children? Are we saying it's all right, you can kick a cat around and you won't really have much of a problem. You can still do your job. You can still play football. You can still make a lot of money. And, you know, people will just go, eh, well, you know, it was just one of those things. Well, it wasn't, was it? Well, I absolutely agree with you. I'm not calling for anybody to lose their livelihood either. And what will happen is even if Kurt Zuma was to be released from West Ham United, he would then go to another club because he's a talented guy and he would be picked up by somebody else, perhaps right. another country. And this may continue. So what the important thing here is to impress that we can educate Kurt Zuma and he can educate himself. Absolutely. And I, I think I echo the thoughts of the man that said that we would like to see him on camera speaking about this, because let's highlight this. Let's take this opportunity to educate him, his children and other children, because what's really sad here now is that his cats have been removed from the family his children will suffer because of that because clearly you know they would be attached to them the cats are now in um the best place for them which is a rescue center but the whole thing is very sad and if we could just move forwards and actually perhaps educate people more on on animal rights and and animal abuse that takes mm. place daily in society then this would be the perfect opportunity to yeah. do that tell us a bit about what you do um in your uh, line of, of what charity work with kitten cam i think it's called um where foster kittens are kind of moved around and given to, to, to new homes how does that all work 
Mike, I could talk to you for hours about my kitten fostering. <laughs> I've been doing it. Uh, I've been rescuing kittens and cats since I was a very small child. Five years old, I think, was my first rescue. Uh, but for the past six years, I've been working with Cats Protection, taking in uh, neonatals and um, abandoned pregnant mothers, uh, or queens as we call them. I have a sp- specialised nursery in our house, and we actually birth the kittens here at home. We raise them until they're eight. Well, I say we, me really. <laughs> raise them until they're about eight to nine weeks of age, until they're strong enough to be um rehomed right. and then obviously it's lovely to see them rehomed to loving families for the rest of their lives so you must have quite a few kittens knocking around at any given time then yeah so it, it's not kitten season at the moment sadly i don't have any to show you today um but usually from about march to december we have um a pregnant cat or a kitten in the house um all through those months wow that's great and i mean is there a lot of abuse in in, in the animal world because it's not something we hear a lot about and as you say it's it, i mean this is an opportunity perhaps more than it is to just punish somebody but to kind of educate people absolutely and i have heard that actually that two hundred fifty thousand pound fine will be going to animal welfare charities which is you know a, a silver lining in the in this in this horrendous case but yes there are a lot of animal abuse stories out there and obviously being a cat fosterer i do hear about them all the time but what was interesting about this case was even though i'm hardened to this and i hear about these cases i've heard of kittens being thrown out of moving windows cats being ab- abandoned in terrible conditions but even though i hear about it all the time seeing it on a video to me was the next step and it, yeah. it was really sickening i actually didn't sleep the first night because it's, really it's horrible well, you know what also was very disturbing was the involvement of one of the children you know you can't make out who that is exactly which is probably a good thing in the in the video but you know the kid is holding the cat when he when he whacks it on the head it's really quite sickening to watch it's very very disturbing and i think also i feel for the children because obviously now kurt zoom is never going to get away from this because cat family uh, cat uh, lovers and and pet lovers won't allow that to happen thankfully but these poor children are going to suffer from that as well and now they've lost their their pet cats too so the whole thing is really heartbreaking on so many levels yeah and what happens now with those cats because the rspca went and took them but we're not really clear what's happened after that i think they took them to a vet for uh, you know examination but but where will they end up so the cats have been removed, as I understand it, to the RSPCA, and I don't work with the RSPCA. I work alongside Cats Protection, who do work alongside the RSPCA. Mm. However, I believe that the cats have been checked for veterinary, as you said, by a vet to make sure that they don't have any lasting injuries. I did, however, hear that that video was quite old, so it may be that those that's not relevant anymore. Mm. But I would imagine that the cats will sadly be rehomed uh, hopefully to much um you know more appropriate circumstances Mm. for the cats they are bengal cats and they're quite active they need a lot of um interaction um and then i think hopefully um the rspca does have powers to to bring a private prosecution and the maximum term i believe in the uk is up to five years in prison now i don't think kurt zuma will 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 go to prison for that for this act but i do hope that he uses it as a as a as a, a platform yeah. to educate. I mean you definitely would want to see as you said at least a statement from him I know he's put one out in a written statement but you would like to see him maybe talking about it and and showing a little bit more contrition uh, than he has because um, his first statement that he put out to say that basically the cats were fine was kind of yeah well you say that but you know how do we know that and also I'd really like to see West Ham being a little bit more fulsome in their in their conversations about this 
Yeah, there are 11 million cats owned in the UK, and I'm sure a lot of those cat owners and a lot of those West Ham supporters are cat owners. So I'm very surprised that West Ham kind of thought that this would be okay to just say, oh, well, we don't, uh, we condemn the actions of Kurt Zuma and we've put out um, an apology and that's the end of it. Mm. Um, I've heard that a lot of West Ham fans were very angry at the game. A lot of them were saying that they wouldn't be supporting the club until further action was taken. So I think all of that and the sponsorship issues have forced West Ham's hand, West Ham's hand a little bit more and I would hope so. But like you said, it would be nice to see more contrition from Kurt Zuma and it would be nice for him to be able to use this to say, okay, I understand now that this was wrong, um, but let's move forwards and highlight all of the the animal abuse that takes that takes place in in the current society. Yeah, no, I think so. And if anyone wants to find your your charity, Frankie, how do they do that? So I work with Cats Protection, and that is catsprotection.org.uk. And also we have Twitter accounts. Obviously, I'm Frankie Skate, and there's Twitter cam where you can see all the beautiful pictures of my gorgeous kittens that I foster all year round. Brilliant stuff. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Frankie Seaman there, Ice Skate and Fosterer for Cats Protection, of course, as well. Uh, Fosters kittens. Must be quite a nice thing to do. Um, We'll take more of your calls coming up. We'll also find out from a lawyer what the position might be for West Ham when it comes to sponsorship and the withdrawal of sponsorship money and what it means also legally speaking uh, for Zuma himself 0344 499 1000 we've got a Thursday club coming up as well don't forget uh, with a special guest joining Helen and Nicklin Uh, we're going to be drinking some wine that goes with curry so we might even find a few bits and pieces to nibble on as well this is Talk Radio Talk Radio across the UK online on DAB and on your smart speaker the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.